Hello and welcome to the podcast Invest in You. Today we've got a great guest all the way from America, uh, Hang Black. And not only that, we don't have any co-host today. So I am alone and I'm darling from Sweden. So Hang, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Frederick. Thank you so much for having me. Great voice. I'm sure that people will really appreciate how nice you sound uh, as uh, you are in their ears, wherever they might be in the world. So nice. So people who never come across you, uh, I have not given you a proper introduction. The reason why we are on this podcast is we've got mutual friends and connections who, for whatever reason, like both of us, for different things we do. Uh, I really like that you find uh, sales, sales enablement as important things to work with. So what do you actually do? Well, thank you for asking. Um, You know, my role at Juniper Networks is the VP of Global Revenue Enablement. And why we use the term revenue versus sales is that I actually touch everyone who touches a customer, whether they're in sales, Uh, systems engineering, or global customer services. And when we provide enablement, it's not just technical training. It's how do we groom people, processes, and tools to make the sale uh, better, quicker, and bigger. Don't we all like bigger, Frederick? Yeah, yeah. Bigger is is sometimes better, but also you said revenue there. What is really the difference between like profitable revenue and just revenue? Well, profitable revenue, um, you know, we would make sure that we, we're, we've got decent margins. <laughs> yeah, Obviously. I'm trying try to be cheeky because many people listening to this podcast are owners, operators, uh, salespeople, or at least try to influence others. So with that in mind, not everyone uh, who is selling is selling things which are profitable. Right. And, you know, that's why it's so important to have enablement because we don't want our sellers to go in front of the customer and the first thing they do is drop price. And then now you're actually below cost and margin. Um, So for us, it's all about how do we equip our teams with what they need in order to provide value, right? So it's selling the value and customer outcome versus selling a product. Yeah, today I have been studying uh, the, the fine art of negotiation by rereading a great book. And I'm actually back to university at my very, very uh, young age. Because in Sweden, we've got a great system where you can actually do courses and it won't cost you anything. So I'm doing distance learning and really, really good things that springs to mind. Things we probably all should know things we should do, maybe not always do. So I would love to give some gold dust to the listeners, whichever field of of work you might do. So before we jump in further into sales, what do you find interesting in working with other people? Well, you know, it's really important that um, regardless of who my audiences are, my audiences are typically... um, internal, my sellers, uh, again, my SEs and my services team, but they're also our external partners, regardless of what their makeup looks like. At the end of the day, my stakeholders, customers are very, very diverse. So we need to make sure that we're collaborating with all of the diverse voices in mind when we are selling and building processes, what do we need to do to make it easier for the customer to buy, to make the customer and user experience easier and better? 
And in that way, you know, we need to make sure that when we collaborate, that we collaborate with all the different voices that represent not just who our stakeholders are, but who our customers' customers are. Cool, cool, cool. And uh, there's a term which is not so common out there. The people who know, they know. But let's shine some light on the term sales enablement. I like that one. And uh, most people don't talk about that. So what does that mean to you? So for enablement, again, um, creating, we don't necessarily create content, but we absolutely curate content. Yep. So most marketing material, 67% of it, and this is, you know, cross industry, cross vertical, most content is never even opened one time by a seller. 67%. <laughs> so, and this has been true for the last 30 years. And, you know, I used to be a product manager, so I get it. I loved writing my 50 page white papers. And then if the sales team didn't read it the first time, then we would just send it to them five more times. And now you're proliferating within the system. What we find though, with enablement is how do we curate the right content and let our SMEs know, okay, more of this stuff that sticks and less of this content that no one ever opens. So we're not only making sure that we're doing the right things, but we're doing the right things right. That's on the content side. Then we've got another pillar that's all around processes. What processes do we need to build in to keep the selling motion consistent and relevant? Um, so I wanna make sure that I modernize our how we talk to the customers and reach them where they are. Do they want to be contacted? Um, how often do they want to be contacted via email, via, rather uh, over voice, over Zoom, over LinkedIn? How do we meet them where they need to be met and, and, and with, with what context? And then finally, the last pillar is around the tool stack. How are we maximizing our tool stack where we have the minimum number of tools that maximize the, the amount of capability? If that makes sense. Yeah, to me, it really makes sense. And for the people where it didn't make as much sense, I will drill even further and deeper and ask, how can you use this work across the, the silos inside a business? So expanding this outside the sales organization, pulling in marketing, production, IT, whatever it might be. How can you engage a broad audience internally? So um, to give you an idea of scale, My company has about 10,000 employees. We are a Fortune 500. Yep. We are a global company with multiple segments, service provider, enterprise, um, and what we call cloud or hyperscaler. Um, we've got multiple geos. And the reason I bring all that context is to give you an idea of complexity, and yet it still can be done. Yeah, so I know. I, I collaborate, know. <laughs> you know, I collaborate very, very closely. When I first came to Juniper two and a half years ago, the very first thing I did was I made a gigantic spreadsheet of from marketing ops to sales ops to sales enablement. What have we, what, what tool stack do we use? What do we use them for? And are we maximizing them? So we look at the end end machine and then we go back to our IT friends and we yes. make sure that those are hooked into the HR systems, to our security systems. So it is possible, but it's highly, highly cross-functional and collaborative. And we have to keep abreast of all the new stuff that comes in too. So as new tools come in, 
you know, I try to do a one in one out in the, in the tool stack, you know, as new tools come in, what can we archive out? And are we ensuring that every, every other team that we touch, whether it's marketing ops, sales ops, and IT do, does it make sense within that ecosystem? Great. So we are recording this during COVID times. This is evergreen. So whenever you might listen to it, I would like you just to recap because it's so different, different parts of the world. In the last 12 months, how many, what's the percentage of actually being in the office versus the home base have you spent so far? Yes, super roughly. Um, in I in the last 12 months, I have been in the office, uh, the physical office, a sum total of six hours in two in two hour increments. Fantastic. So, that is yeah, the, that, that, I think that says it all. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that really sets the, the frame well for the next one. How do you find working in the virtual space, which we have all applied in different context over the last year plus? I've been in um, high tech for nearly three decades. And um, 15 of those years, I was a remote worker. I, li- I lived in Austin and reported into um into the Bay Area. So this is pretty normal for me. As much as the lockdown has really sucked, um, what I do say is I think that people have learned how efficient we can be from home and and how effective we can be. Now, we are missing those interactive uh, conversations. We're missing the, the dynamic we are overworking, which I always knew, you know, it used to be as a remote worker, um, people will sometimes question if you are as effective. And I think now people are understanding what I've known for a long time, which is when you work from home, you will actually tend to overwork because your days and your nights blur. That being said, one of the benefits that I've that I think we've received out of this is we know people can be productive so we can give them more flexibility we have a very impersonal window into people's personal worlds. So we can give a little bit more grace to people with families and um, you know, whether they're male or female, we can give them a little bit more grace around, you know, what does it look like to work with, with young children, older children, whichever. Yes. And the third thing is, I think it's really democratized voice. You know, uh, Frederick, I've just recently written a book around Um, immigrant women in the workplace. And one of the things that I have found incredibly valuable is that we have now democratized space and voice. If you look on any Zoom screen, everyone has the same real estate. So it is up to you (laughs) to change, to to show up, you know? So what I tell people is if you want to be seen, show up, turn your camera on. If you want to be heard, speak up. If you want to make us, if you want to make an impact, stand up. So we now have the the space and the ability to do that. And it is very uncomfortable for certain cultures. When I run global events, the Asian culture tend to be off camera. They tend to be a little more more silent, but I do encourage and coax them to have more voice. This is their opportunity. And we're finding that culture slightly shifting. And with that addition of voice, we're creating better. We're being more innovative. We're being more inclusive. And, you know, we are being much more creative in how we solve for our customers' problems. Yes, yes. Yeah, super interesting. I've been working with a lot of companies just like yours, how to really expand the, the sales through 
a broad range of things, including even like deal coaching as well. So I really like what you're working with and find super interesting as well. So I miss uh, traveling around the world and present speeches all over over the world. Where have you been working physically over the last few years? And might might but even talk about are you are you born in the U.S. or have you? No, I am a Vietnamese immigrant. However, I came over here into the U.S. when I was only two years old. All right, right. And I grew up in the South in a very black and white world. And uh, Asians get kind of caught in between. You know, are we lighter skin? Are we darker skin? Um, and where do we where do we you know quote unquote belong? And what that's given me is sort of a perspective of of perpetual observation and learning. Yes. Um, so in my current role, when we were pre-COVID, um, I was probably traveling 50% of the time right. globally. Yes. Globally. So I miss that terribly as well. But again, you know, we are we're maximizing the experience. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I think my, my last few international stints were quite far away. So flying from London to uh, China and Australia on the same trip. Uh, that was one of my last journeys I did for for business purposes. And yeah, I've been quite close to Vietnam with with Thailand and so on as well. All right, good. Uh, so you are well versatile in, in traveling, and eventually we will allow to travel again. Um, I often work with. Uh, if you think about your complex deal teams, like the biggest deals, when I work with them and try to help them, how can they work even more effectively? One of the key elements was when you start up a new like temporary sales team to meet face-to-face if possible. How can you do this team engagement for, for, a, for a team for a specific project and target the mine when we are now online? Well, I do believe that we'll never go back to fully in person. We're evolving, which is great. And a lot of these sales trends have been happening the last two to three years where um, people are meeting in a virtual environment first, if they're meeting virtually at all yet, or if they meet in person at all. Um, and once they do the homework, so it, it, is, it is critical for sales teams to do their homework research your research your customer and what i will say is you know if you look at forrester and gartner they'll they'll show us that there there have been over the last two to three years declines of in-person meetings and this is pre-covid there have been there has been a blurring of lines between the sdr and the commercial account manager um and then if you look at generationally 44 percent of millennials don't want to meet their seller even one time even once they want to have a contactless experience. Now, contactless doesn't necessarily mean they never interact with them. It just means they don't contact them. So what does that mean? One of the things that we're looking at as we modernize the sales experience is to make sure that when we interact with our customers, we interact with them socially first and we engage with them in what they are interested in. 47% 47% of the business decision is already made before the first phone call is, is, is taken. So what does that mean? Customers are even B2B customers, not just B2C, they're doing their research beforehand. If you have a prospect 
Look at what their what your prospect is posting on social media. What articles are they engaging in? Comment and engage with them even before you reach out for that first engagement. Um, yes. So that's really, really important. And then yeah. when we get back in person, then you would have earned the right to be in front of them, whether it's a virtual and then eventually in-person um, interaction. Yeah, no, uh, super interesting. And, and I've seen so many examples of how when that is done properly and when it's done in the not so proper way where people just go out and hard push for their own agenda before, before there's any kind of like connection or interest whatsoever. Uh, LinkedIn, how do you find LinkedIn as, as a working platform? And, and again, being a woman as well, that's slightly different to be a man. Yeah, uh, well, I find it great because these social media platforms, just as we mentioned about um, now that we're it, we're in um, in lockdown mode, we have democratization of real estate on the screen. With LinkedIn, we have democratization of platform, and one of the beauties of LinkedIn is it's one of the few platforms that do not feel the rage economy as much as possible. Right. So a lot of other tools sort of highlight, um, you know, if your your posts have all caps and exclamation marks, they get boosted. LinkedIn has different sets of algorithms that, again, don't feel rage. So as a woman and as a seller, I find it's a great opportunity to create a platform and how you use it is fairly delicate, but if used very well, it is extremely powerful. I've had many customers and partners literally follow me from company to company because they like what I have to say from a professional standpoint. Yep. They like my, um, because of that, they also trust in the companies that I will be representing in. And then they love what my social viewpoints around diversity and inclusion, because now we're seeing that 60% of companies buy not just the product, they buy on what the brand's social values are. Yeah, no, completely, completely agree with that as well. So with, with all of that in mind, we have had quite a few number of authors on this podcast and you have written a book. What brought you to, to write a book in the first place or well, books maybe? Well, what, what I like to say is um, my, I feel like my career as a woman, as an immigrant and multiple layers of, of, uh, of, of minority-ism, so to speak, um, the road was much harder for me than it needs to be for anyone. And this has been kicking around in my head and what a perfect time to write about it than a year of having nothing to do and nowhere to go. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for me, it's been really important to pave the path for people behind me. Yes. So my book is called Embrace Your Edge, Pave Your Own Path as an Immigrant Woman in the Workplace. So women carry extra burdens of nurturing and caregiving. And immigrants carry extra burdens of caregiving for their elders and the guilt around, you know, wanting to honor the sacrifices of their of their uh, ancestors that have come before them. So whether you're an immigrant or a woman, it's really important for you to understand that the books for success out there won't work for you. 
The formulas for success out there won't work for you because they weren't written for you by people who represent your life experience. Yes. So it was really important for me to pass this behind. And what has been really gratifying for me is not only, you know, immigrant women reach out and say how powerful it's been, but um, immigrant men have reached out. White women have reached out. And the most gratifying, Frederick, you'll find interesting, white male leaders have found it the most useful to understand our populations because we yes. are, the thing is, these populations, they're extremely tenacious. So when I talk about navigating my career in the dark, when there's light, I can move really, really fast. I'm way faster than my peers because in general, I have to be, I have to run faster and harder just to just to stay even when it comes to access. So you'll find all of this on hangwithhang.com. But that's, you know, that's what it is. And like I said, what I really love is the white men who reach out and say, I loved it so much. I bought it for all of my my male leaders. I bought it for my daughters. I bought it for my daughter-in-laws. That's, that's, really that's, that's the best you can hear as an author. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. Expand on, on the word edge. What's, what's the edge you're talking about in the book for, for the well, people everywhere? Thank you for asking. So what I mean by edge is we're all a little bit different. How boring would it be to conform? So we each have a competitive edge by embracing what is uniquely us and our thoughts. So when I think about minority, I don't necessarily think about race and gender. Of course, those are classic definitions of what people physically look like, but we all are extremely unique. Do I have an accent or not? Have I lived in different places or not? Was I raised by a single parent or not? Um, You know, we all have these different levels of, you know, interesting um, things about us that I think we just need to embrace and 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 celebrate and bring all of those elements to the table to make us you know more competitive. I I love how you are explaining and expanding on that. So fantastic! I I like and can relate to that. I've been working in forty plus countries, so I I am almost like a permanent immigrant wherever I might be, and uh, people often think like. Where is that accent from? Because it's been so muddled up from being everywhere <laughs> all the time. And I really try to pride myself, to try to learn some of the local language as well. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's always exciting when, when you travel. When you actually start to care about the culture, cross-culture learnings which are out there, which ultimately is necessary if you like to have any kind of impact when you're Absolutely. moving about. Absolutely. And again, it's about observation and learning, isn't it? Learning and unlearning even. Yes, indeed. indeed. How, yeah. <laughs> Share an example of something that you have had to unlearn over the last couple of years. It can be anything, not even work-related. Well, um, I will give you a work example because um, it's it's very relevant to my job role. My job role as it exists right now, even though sales enablement has existed for nearly three decades, the job role as it exists right now did not exist five years ago. And what do I mean by that? I uh, I am an engineer by education. I'm a chemical engineer with multiple patents in semiconductor manufacturing. I did that for nearly a decade. And then I went into product management. And then I went into product marketing, central marketing. 
During that time, there was quite a bit of lateral movement that has actually really been able to prepare me for this particular career. As I mentioned, when I was in engineering, we thought, oh, sales and marketing, they don't know what they're talking about. When I was in marketing, I thought, you know, well, the engineers, they, 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 they love being nerds and they really don't understand the customer. When I landed in sales, that's when I truly understand that only that sales is the front line to the customer. So they're the closest conversation. So from that experience, again, this is all about cognitive diversity. I have learned that you have to bring everyone to the table. That we don't know what's we don't know what's right for sales and for the customers without actually talking to them and collaborating with them. I like the sound of that. Uh, the same thing there to have someone to go from actually engineering into sales. That's a very, very strong way to do it. Uh, so many people in sales are unfortunately told to sell things that they might not understand. Worst yes. case, something they don't even believe in. Uh, Chase job. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So what, what, what do you do when you're not working too much? Well, um, you know, uh, the past year I've been writing, so that's done. Um, I, you know, I dance, I try to dance twice a week. I try to box twice a week and I try to lift twice a week. And then, uh, and then I have two teenagers. So um, we cook a lot together. We eat a lot together. So that pretty much, that pretty much is the sum total of my time. Dancing, which kind of dancing? I used to do a lot of that when I was a lot younger. Um, yeah, I love ballroom dancing. Ballroom dance, I've done that. Yeah, I've done Latin dancing and rock and roll and all of those things as well. Love it. Uh, miss yeah. it. And I, I, I like uh, music, obviously, for that reason. So, right. Favorite ballroom dancing style? Which yeah. is your favorite? Oh, favorite ballroom style. I would have to say uh, samba and tango are my two favorites. Great, perfect. I like some. <laughs> right. Okay, perfect. No, I like that. Uh, I've got uh, boxing sons, or actually tai, uh, taekwondo boxing sons, but uh, I can relate to that. So for the younger listeners, uh, might be late teenagers, early, early 20s, what kind of like career advice would you like to share with them? Because you have had some time to find your way. Uh, and it's different for everyone, like you said, with their own edge. Uh, thoughts, ideas? Um, I would say don't don't be afraid to try different things and move around a little bit earlier in career. I don't like to say don't be afraid to fail because that gives you an escape. I would say don't be afraid to take judicious risks. Um, careers are not necessarily linear, but what you really have to find is what are your strengths what are your values and how do those two align so that you can monetize them? I do think it's important to have a goal of monetizing your dreams um, because again, following your passions, it's a great, it's a great saying, but at the end of the day, we got to eat too, you know? Um, so for me, following my dreams means being, uh, doing the things that I, that I love to do, monetizing in it, and then being able to give back versus, you know, um, that's that's my personal definition of success. But again, everyone should be allowed their own personal definition of success. Exactly. And be kind to yourself, whatever you're saying in your own mind, because ultimately you are the judge of everything you do and how you interpret everything around you. And uh, 
some people, many people are just quick to judge. Uh, be kind to yourself yes. and smile. Yes, like like you're doing here. Right. Yeah. That's right. Be kind to yourself and others. You never yeah. know when you're going to encounter them again. Indeed, indeed. So uh, in terms of your book, uh, how and where can people follow you? You mentioned that like super quickly before. Where, where can people find you online? So um, I am most prolific on LinkedIn. Again, so it's LinkedIn slash hang with hang. Um, my book and information about my book is on hangwithhang.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Clubhouse. I'm starting to run Thursday evening clubhouses. Perfect. Um, specifically around um, inclusion, diversity, and technology. Great, great. So there you got it. Now you know where to find Hang if you like and, and like to follow her work further. And again, the book is called Embrace Your Edge. So find it out, at least if you're curious. Uh, have you been on any other podcast you would like to recommend? Any other engaging host that has pulled out the best out of you? Well, um, Lori Richards, I have been with the book coming out, you know, which um, I've failed to mention. You can also just get directly on Amazon. Um, I have been on probably two to three podcasts a week. <laughs> yep. um, I'd have to say my favorites are probably uh, Lori Richards of Women in Sales, the IES, um, Vendor Neutral with Justin Michael has been amazing. Great. There's a reveal with Gong, um, and then uh, and then outreach. Those have been those have been excellent, excellent uh, podcasts. And and of course, Vendor Neutral has. Um, I'm sorry, Vingresso has has a podcast for both a marketing work stream and a sales work stream. Perfect. I'll check them out. Perfect. Uh, those were new to me. All of them. Uh, we have had lots of guests from America lately. And uh, we pick up lots of ideas, especially from, from the area around California, for whatever reason. <laughs> and then a couple of other uh, low-tax states as well. Mm-hmm, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> we have quite a uh, following amongst digital nomads as well. People are traveling around and finding their way, which leads into another completely off-topic uh, question. Uh, in the book I read today, they did some uh, stats about millennials usually change jobs every third year. I think the younger people will change even faster. What's your view on um, the whole gig economy, which is very much expanding and exploding as we speak? Um, I think the gig economy is going to you know, continue to evolve and perchance even collapse with some of the uh, cloud SaaS providers. Um, you know, because they they really they really figured out how to um, how to crowdsource, but then they're going to need um, well, not necessarily need, but in order to evolve to the next step, I think they will start partnering with 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 big engines for scale like Amazon, the Amazons of the world, the Googles of the world, um, to to have that expertise you know, to, to read the, reach the masses. Lovely. Perfect. All right. So we have two quite unusual questions. The first one, which has been your favorite office so far? That can be anything. My favorite office is um, by the beach, but I have, I have to admit that I don't get much work done when, when my <laughs> office is at the beach. Yeah. Sun in the keyboard. And the next one is what does invest in you mean to yourself? Um, for me, that means, again, um, giving grace to yourself, 
um, taking care of yourself before and, 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 and kind of understanding what your levers of happiness are, not other people's definitions of happiness for you, whether it's societal, cultural, familial, um, but really understanding what that looks like for you and investing on how do you, how do you, how do you get there? to your own definition of success. So one of the tools that I talk about in my book is reflect, recalibrate, reset. Reflect on where you are today. Is it truly where you want to be going? Is Or are you living in a tr- past trajectory? Yep. Recalibrate that trajectory and then reset. What do you need to do to get there? And that is the most difficult part because that's the actionable piece. Yes, I, I like that. We just had a really good business mentor on uh, the other week and he said, who do you need to become? to achieve basically what, what you want. So that's so interesting. I have a, a little tricky question from your LinkedIn profile. When you got the nickname Black Ops, what does that mean? I'm super curious because I used to work with similar things, but we probably mean different things. Sure. Um, so my father uh, was, a, was a military man. So oh, right. I have always had a deep appreciation and fascination for special operations units. So. Um, in the military, but the reason I got that name was during my period of consulting for a couple of years, I did sales ops, marketing ops, sales enablement, field marketing. And I just got really good at diagnosing what the issues are. You know, what do we need to rip and replace? What do we need to fix? Um, what gaps did we not even know that we had? And I got really good at just kind of at being a tornado to come in fix things and then disappear uh, like a big black ops engine. And so, and with my last name, it just became a natural nickname. That's, that's great. Perfect. Good one. Yeah, I know I used to work with special forces for many years. I can, I can relate by quick in, fix the problem, quick out again. Uh, and, and the best to, to your family. Uh, Right. So you guys have all listened in to Hang and uh, Frederick. So you have been hanging with Hang and please find her out. Super interesting. We got to scratch the surface and uh, I like everything I've seen so far. So on that note, any last words to the global audience from California? I would say I will sign off um, the same way I do with, uh, I autograph my books is Be Limitless. Love it. Very limitless. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll call today. Great. Thank you so much, Frederick. And uh, goodbye to your audiences. <laughs>